many elements in life are much like a toupee. All it takes is just a, s a single brief look and you know it's a toupee. And just like that, I projectile vomited all over the podcast studio. Me too. <laughs> oh my god. I listened to the behind the scenes podcast, the writer's room podcast with Michael Patrick King mm -hmm. and the writers. And he said that they rigged up at Carrie and uh, the guy with tubes, but it wasn't working out. And then Sarah Jessica Parker's like, let me do it. And she downed two liters of fake vomit and made herself puke. No, really? Yes. <laughs> God, honestly, I don't want to dedicate too much time to that atrocity of a uh, <laughs> reboot but she's pretty much the only saving grace of this show i know she's the only thing keeping this like cgi made up <laughs> universe of a the fake meta, new york the metaverse <laughs> basically you know what next time i'm watching it i'm waiting until the uh the end credits end because i'm sure there's a metaverse sponsorship at the end <laughs> <laughs> i'm absolutely sure because like it just dawned on me the last episode and i shared this with you that it doesn't even feel like new york city totally like i don't know if there's a soundstage of new york city in new york city somewhere or they shoot those scenes in la uh but like i don't know the restaurant scene there's i can only think of like two streets like that look like that in new york city <laughs> Like, you know, it's not a dead-end street, but, like, a perpendicular street, basically. I know. And those fucking, like, 19th century Central Park lampposts, like, <laughs> you don't have that in Manhattan. <laughs> well, there were so many outdoor scenes they were shooting this summer, like, even when I was there. Yeah. And we were constantly, like, trying to stumble in on the on the yeah, shooting. Sure. But it feels completely dislocated from New York. That's the ridiculous thing. It is. They just like either hate New York or they're over New York and they're unaware of it, but they're really trying to like sell us on the like move to Florida sort of mood. <laughs> I mean, even the whole thing with buying the sari, like that was supposed to originally be in Queens. I'm sorry they should have done it. She should have oh, gone to Jackson right. Heights. Yeah. Um, that should have been part of the story. Like maybe go over to the family's house, like other than the party. It should just right. it should have been like a New York moment and it wasn't. So I just I don't understand who lobbies for these like extra CGI'd scenes. <laughs> like her her downtown apartment that she bought and lived in briefly, where was that supposed to be? Is that like I don't know. Battery Park City or like somewhere <laughs> on West Street? It just it looked fake. It looked like some like I don't know anime in like hong kong totally. or something Ugh. i mean oh, wow. i'm still watching it don't get me wrong yeah i mean me too i'm a i mean <laughs> i'm a gay what else am i gonna do <laughs> yeah i mean i'll watch it but i don't have to like it <laughs> um yeah and uh david i guess mentioned something uh said something very wise that or did you say that about uh about anthony and uh and getting a hand job at that uh, uh, at that auction. Well, the I unlike, the unlikely I said probability. Only if you paid a twenty, <laughs> or sorry, oh, only right. if you slid a twenty under the stall. <laughs> and then I said, "Well, in this economy, <laughs> it must a have hundred. cost." 
I mean, they did start shooting it before inflation really skyrocketed, and so before the uh, L.A. train container crisis blew up. Oh my God! I even saw it on the on CBS yesterday. So I know it's I know it's valid. It doesn't just exist on Daniel Keller's uh, Twitch account. Oh my god. Why are those freight trains moving that slow? That's what I want to know. I think where they come into the intermodal point, they just like sit there for a long time to get unloaded. So I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to look up that word, sorry. Oh, it's like where the trains the containers get taken off to put onto onto other modes of transit. So they're like taken off there and put onto trucks or put onto other trains or things like that. You know too too much of other things to be working in this profession specifically. You're wasting your talent and time. Thanks. Your, well, your brain cells should be reallocated. Well, that's why I'm enjoying and excelling at my user experience design course. Mm-hmm. Have the uh, Have you been working on any Kardashian Jenner app uh, apps recently? Oh my god, Kate's Guide to Life. Oh my god. She they finally fucking took off what's her name? Chloe from Candy Crush Saga. She did some collab with them and I shared the uh screenshot with you. They like completely changed the way the uh the starting screen or whatever the intro screen looks. Uh-huh. Featuring like a Candy Crush like animated version of Chloe <laughs> who I truly try my hardest not to like not to encounter on a daily basis but and i like play candy crush on a daily basis for like i have been for like over 10 years now and i've had to endure her like ugly ass face for like a good three months before they finally switch like a different holiday theme but even if you stop candy crush you're still gonna see her in migraine medication commercials and febreze ads and that's the classic American way. They create the problem, they offer the solution. Like, I haven't had any <laughs> migraines until I've watched Chloe's commercial totally. for migraine medication. You're not going to have a migraine until you poison your uh, home air quality with Febreze. <laughs> I mean, maybe you get migraines because of just the contraction in your nasal passages that create that whiny voice that you sisters emit. <laughs> or maybe the fillers are just giving you, like, anti-inflammatory issues. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you'd think she'd learn from the lesson of Michael Jackson as to how far to take... Uh, yeah, y- family you know. friend Michael Jackson. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe he's Chloe's father. Yeah. Actually, this whole family is walking in the shoes of this man who, uh, you know, transformed from black to white. They're the true sort of synthesis of that whole cultural moment. The original transracial before uh, Rachel Dolezal. Absolutely. I mean, she doesn't even count because for her, it was just a, a change of construct. For them, it's a change of complexion. Um, oh, well, how have you been? Uh, all right. I'm back in Berlin. Um, welcome back. Is thanks. it sunny and sunny and warm? <laughs> no, it's horrible. Are the people friendly? Is the um, food amazing? Well, I had a run in with the police, and <laughs> mm-hmm. they were very nice, actually. Oh yeah. Um, because somebody wrongfully accused my brother of hitting their car. 
I mean, just just to set the record straight, it's Berliners who act like police. The police in Berlin are fine. Yeah, I know a cab, but um, in this situation, he was very nice. Meanwhile, just hours before at the pharmacy, someone was a total um, see you next Tuesday to me. Mm-hmm. Acting like a cop, so and a ra- and a racist to a minority person. Is that true? Um. Well, I mean, she was being xenophobic to me. Um. But no, there were all these other pharmacist racism um, moments the week before in the surrounding area. I mean, what do you expect? It's the <sighs> legacy of Mengele. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It lives and thrives in the. <laughs> pharmaceutical staff of every pharmacy in Germany. Basically. Um, Yeah, so the weather sucks. It's super gray. I'm feeling socially isolated. Friends of mine are home with Omicron. Oh my god. I have a cold. It could be Omicron. I don't know. Taking this opportunity to send my love and uh, kisses to a friend of the pod, Claudia who uh went into labor and uh, i guess is isolating now really i didn't know that yeah sorry sorry claudia if i exposed too much information i was supposed to disclose oh my god (laughs) but uh all the best to you and your newborn we love you love you that was uh that was a very long pregnancy i feel like we saw her in june and she was already decently pregnant yeah i feel like she was six months pregnant when we saw her in june (laughs) yeah and if yeah basically it feels like three pandemics have passed since and true she only gave birth a couple of days ago so i mean it feels yeah. like you were here ages ago it does yeah it's those fucking surges they really i think they're like the new gregorian calendar <laughs> definition of a year basically <laughs> oh uh, god it just it really feels like a year starts and ends with every contraction and expansion of this yeah. stupid virus well, last winter was terrible. I mean, that was. But they me warned us lowest. last year was going to be terrible, because yeah. last year was just when they started rolling out the vaccinations, and so. Yeah. But like, what's the excuse this winter? Oh God, I'm like, I'm really tempted to just like decamp to Florida for a couple of months because it just seems like, I mean, aside from the shitty culture and politics, it just seems like such a COVID heaven to those who prefer to go. Especially for AOC. Yes. <laughs> and her, uh, what was the whole uh, brouhaha about her boyfriend's toes or something like that? <sighs> her know. claiming that all Republicans actually secretly want to have sex with her. <laughs> they need to stop feet shaming him, first of all. But yeah. also those New York posters that are like, she's not wearing a mask. It's like, bitch, she's sitting on a patio outdoors. Like, why would you be wearing yeah, a mask? Who, who cares? <laughs> like, also, you could totally do better than that Ed Sheeran boyfriend of yours. <laughs> True. God. Um, and I mean, she's she's gorgeous, but she like with the... I mean, she could grow a, a faint mustache like overnight and that would completely... <laughs> devolve her look she just has one of those faces okay i shouldn't have said that sorry (laughs) but she is beautiful um she's annoying on social media love her putting it mildly yeah i mean her bone structure is incredible love her when she's like actually doing her job and speaking in an impassioned manner like on the floors of congress but the social media needs to go (laughs) 
Yeah, she really needs some. There's there needs to be some intervention there. Yeah, I think all politicians should just be banned from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. It's there's doing just, no public service. There's no graceful way of doing of participating in that. It's just uh, it's only in a maximalist fashion that it works. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they also say things on there like the psycho ones will say insane shit they would never say in person. Yeah. You know, and but then on Twitter they're going off and getting banned for like hate speech, <laughs> like, right? Which is so dumb. And then like every slight, any slight cannot go like unreplied or something from the politicians. And so like you sometimes wonder why she even bothers replying to like these random people. Yeah, reply guys um, or drukos as they're called in German. I just learned uh, oh courtesy God, of yeah. friend of the pod Ben Miller. You know what? I think Twitter should just be serving the purpose of posting your daily Wordle um, <laughs> achievements oh or the lack thereof. That should be the sole oh, purpose of Twitter. I've had it. <laughs> Honestly, Twitter. I, sorry. It's I just got to say it is starting to grow on me because like I failed miserably one day playing Wordle. And then it made me realize this game is not as easy as I thought it was. Because the first couple of days were really easy. I got it in the, like the second or third attempt, including today. But it just made me realize that my brain switches to a whole different mode of operation when I play that game. Um, I just like, don't but, need to know about it. Like, am I posting oh, live updates of Spelling Bee every day? Like, guess what, everyone? I got four extra words past the finish line. I mean, there's just something fun about this, like really low res nft style like visual of how your how that your game progress went and i do enjoy the daily posts of like people interpreting that image um and so like my my wordle results of the day look like second candle of hanukkah <laughs> which i find pleasing I just um, think Twitter should be for like tsunami warnings and uh, that account that tells you bathroom codes in New York. That account has not been active for like two weeks at least. <laughs> so much so that I'm considering chiming in at this point because I, I have a cache of bathroom <laughs> codes buried deep. In By the way, if any Berlin listeners are calling, uh, are listening, uh, I'm just quickly going to give you my updated rundown of public bathrooms. Berlin calling. Yeah. That, uh, should, be the, that should be the name of that account. <laughs> Na- as in nature calling, Berlin calling with all the bathroom codes. So the decathlon at Alexanderplatz has a free public bathroom, no code, mm-hmm. no purchase required. Yeah. Um, Hackersher marked Starbucks, the new one, has a basement bathroom that's really nice. Is there privacy for uh, business there's, meetings, if you know what I mean? Pri- <laughs> there's privacy and no code. Okay, and that's good. I think Dolores next to Carive has a bathroom that's also like in the basement and right. know, kind of far out of the way. <clears throat> um, and then for our Warsaw listeners, the Starbucks across <laughs> from the train station, you go into the lobby of that building uh, with Izumi Sushi, and there's a very chic bathroom, and the code oh, is one 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 one. Wow! And that's my public service for the week. Um. Well, in New York City, it's it's much simpler. You essentially can go into any hotel with 
like trepidation and like you just you just go for it so nobody the nobody would think that you, you're not a guest of the hotel so you just like walk through and like scan your eyes in the lobby for where the bathrooms might be and just go for it well that's why people are cruising in midtown hotel bathrooms allegedly really even yeah. in this economy even in this economy <laughs> especially in this economy oh my god uh should we get to our topics because uh, we have some of those today for you guys sure. or listeners who've um soured on our lack of interest in art like is there anything interesting like has anyone seen a good show lately i haven't <laughs> i also started a new job so i've no actually you know what i have i have seen a couple of good shows i mean i went with jordan on his birthday to see the uh last day of the Atella don show at the guggenheim oh that looked nice yeah it's like a duo show a really like a really uh yeah, forced sort of combination between Ataladnan and um Kandinsky. Hmm. I mean she get she got like the first bottom half of the rotunda and he got the the second part, the top part. And like halfway it sort of segues into Kandinsky with like the sort of uh, faint excuse that she had once seen an exhibition of his at the Guggenheim and was like impacted by it or whatever. Like it just seems like you could pair up any any artist duo at this point just by, you know, saying that they've once saw each other's work. <laughs> um, anything goes. Uh, I saw that, and there's also a really great couple of shows at the Jewish Museum. Actually, one just closed. I think I talked about it, the uh, Looted Art. Um, I think that actually just came down. It's pretty great. Um Anyways, but I haven't seen any gallery shows lately. I just, like, can't handle it. Oh, speaking of looted art, you need to watch Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. There's a really good looted art episode. Uh Uh-huh. Where Jane Krakowski's character has to hand over uh, a Mondrian she has to a Jewish family. (laughs) Interesting. And she's, like, resistant, so they try to forge the painting, and hilarity ensues. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, just out of the whole history of the looted art in the Nazi era, what strikes me most fascinating is the fact that like all the things the Nazis sort of uh, accused the Jews of being, th- it was merely projection. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because they just acted <laughs> like out of pure greed. Um, but we're on to you, Nazis. Never again. <laughs> Um, um anyway but let's uh let's go into full new york post tmz mode for this uh for the main feature of this episode because this is possibly one of the juiciest stories that's come up in literally years yes it is very juicy it's what would be a uh what would be a good comparison to uh a good analogy for our listeners to understand how juicy this is. What are some like noted scandals mm. that are comparable to this? Scandals. I'm trying to some think. like some like friendly relationships that really went awry in a. So oh, this this could be well. You know what? This could be like when the Taylor Kanye drama popped off again. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. With like Kim posting things and people posting snakes on Instagram comments. Right. 
Um, or this could be like Britney and Jamie Lynn Spears this week, mm-hmm. dueling it out in the press. This also has like backstabbing sort of vibes similar to um, Kylie and Jordan's Ooh, yes. fallout. Exactly. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, there's potential homosexual intrigue. Potential. I mean, I mean, th- first of all, the story involves homosexuals, <laughs> and I hope we don't get pulled off the allegedly. Air. Allegedly, just yeah. look at the haircuts and the steroid toned bodies. Yeah, and, I mean, come on. And I mean, judge for yourself. Cer- yeah, there's certain things that are. Many elements in life are much like a toupee. All it takes is just a, s- a single brief look, and you know it's a toupee. Yeah. Uh, if you see a silk shirt or uh, an exposed clavicle with linen, um, mm-hmm. gay. Yes. A uh, what do you call those? Uh, like a Mandarin collar shirt, gay. unrelated to the unrelated to the ethnicity of the uh, of the wearer of the shirt. Yeah. If if uh, yeah, white pants, gay. Yes. Um, any selfies from Pig Beach, not the barbecue spot in Guanas, but the <laughs> island in the Bahamas? <laughs> Loafers. Exposed in, ankle. Exposed ankle. What are some other tacky uh, um, tenets of, uh, of a gay air? In that 2022. wavy sociopath hair, mm-hmm. uh, like you're getting blowouts. Which, sorry to gender it, but blowouts are for women. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Mid face lifts at a at an age too young. <laughs> Steroids, whatever. Okay, you wanna you wanna broach the uh, subject. You wanna yeah. So open it up. This this actually made it to legitimate media, but we're gonna. We're going to go with the angle from our friends at artnetnews.com. Well, it was actually the news was broken on uh, Bloomberg, right? Bloomberg.com. Uh, but the uh, the Artnet story is good because it has some additional reporting. Wait, uh, are you on Art News or Artnet? Sorry, sorry news.artnet.com. Okay. Our pals. <clears throat> Uh, so a bombshell lawsuit between two collectors exposes how far some will go to get access to the art they want. Collectors Michael Shufu Huang and Federico Castro de Bernardi have settled their lawsuit, but not before revealing the market's inner workings. Already juicy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so before we continue, Amir... How did you become familiar with these two figures? Um, I feel like with Michael Shufu, it all started with his a insignia, a uh, embroidered loafers that came to my attention. <laughs> in Black velvet on, with gold. <laughs> yeah, in passing on social media, maybe through Tiff Zab's Instagram account. I don't know. I was. If, uh, I guess they were good friends. Maybe oh no, the Anna Delvey story oh, because he, true because he's a serial victim. <laughs> totally, um, a BPD and that's put, art hoe. 
Yeah. A serial victim is putting it as a euphemism. <laughs> uh, he tends to get uh, screwed over. I don't know. Yeah. And so for anyone that doesn't know, the Anna Delvey thing is that uh, he fronted hotel costs and she never paid him back. Yes. Allegedly. So Anna, Anna Delvey is a Russian-German Zoomer, I guess, who decided to um, explode big on the scene here in New York City and sort of lie her way into, um, I don't know, people's investments, investment money into a project she was allegedly working on a Soho style sort of art like art how would you describe it i don't like even a know private members about. art club that involved a lot of sort of art acquisition i guess similar to Soho house that adorns the walls of all their houses anyways she came not for money as she uh, said she was and managed to rope in a lot of people into her investments but also was living on their uh dime um and there's a netflix series coming out soon oh really um, yeah featuring uh dasha necrosova <laughs> and uh, uh hosp- hos- zooming in from the hospital a uh anna kachin <laughs> by the way everyone please get vaccinated so you don't get uh late adult onset stills disease yes <laughs> you don't don't get red pilled by the other wackos from the other podcast um but michael shufu huang will be a character in this netflix series oh my it's, god who's it's gonna been play confirmed. Him? the guy from crazy rich asians you think <laughs> he's actually australian <laughs> and he's also like six four or something i mean shufu i've never seen in person but he strikes me as a more petite um okay so the story continues an explosive lawsuit filed in florida has exposed the behind the scenes wheeling and dealing that can take place when wealthy art buyers are competing for access to in-demand contemporary artworks. The case, which was filed almost a year ago and settled on Wednesday, which Jesus. Like, why did this just come to light? Yeah. Pitted Michael Shufu Huang, a prominent young Chinese patron who founded the X Museum in Beijing, against Monaco-based Argentine collector Federico Castro de Bernardi. Huang sought $1.3 million from De Bernardi for reputational damages. Uh, so the two started out as friends and colleagues, with Huang offering to buy work by sought-after artists under his own name and the guise of acquiring them for his museum. Instead, Huang transferred them to De Bernardi with a 10% markup. So for any of you who don't know, the uh, art market doesn't let you just buy whatever you want um, because it's a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes buyers will go to galleries and they'll want to buy things that are hot and in demand because, you know, they just love the work so much and it mm-hmm. speaks so much to them. Um, but because they're not important enough or coveted enough as a client, the gallery uh, won't let them buy something. So, but also, but also, in some cases, they're proven to be flippers, and so it's in the galleries. It's not in the galleries galleries' interest to you know, a, um, uh, you know, sell to them lest they flip the art exactly immediately after that, purchasing yeah. it, or they do the flipping. But they yeah. really want to have maximum control over the market because if it spins out of control, the prices go too high. 
and eventually will crash down because it's not like mm-hmm. a sustainable thing necessarily. I mean, this is the equivalent of a 16-year-old sending either getting a fake ID to buy beer or sending <laughs> their like older cousin in to get a six-pack for them. Um, Wait, how old is Shufu? I feel like the Bernardi's older than him. Shufu's like 26 or something. Oh, okay. But dresses like um, someone's father. So... <laughs> Dresses like uh, Jessica and Ashley Simpson's father, <laughs> Joe Simpson. <laughs> oh my gosh. Aspiring photographer, Joe Simpson. Um, so anyway, things uh, between Huang and Debernardi started to fall apart in August 2020 uh, when Huang sent uh, his friend the following panic message. WTF, Paula Cooper just emailed this. The gallery said it was troubled to learn that a painting Huang had purchased from them at Art Basel Miami Beach in 2019, uh, which was a painting by Cecily Brown, had been resold. And the problem with that was that uh, there was an agreement as part of the sale that uh, if the buyer tried to resell that painting within three years, they had to go back through the gallery to Paula Cooper Gallery. But is that like an honor sort of basis agreement? Because that flimsy piece of paper that is a uh, that is featured in the Bloomberg article stating the agreement between the gallery and the buyer, like that does not seem like it holds any legal water. Yeah, I wonder if there are any laws relating to that kind of, you know, on a state level or whatever. Um, it's like a gentleman's agreement, basically. Yeah. Because, I mean, it is on paper, but uh, as I learned in high school legal class, um, <laughs> <laughs> in the Kim Kardashian baby bar class, uh, all contracts do is just um, try to eliminate ambiguity. So right. nothing is written in stone. It's just when you get to court, it's like a bit more clear what page you were on as, yeah, as two I mean, parties. You're also not, you're not a fully, you know, exposed to the whole gamut of the law and the precedents. And just because it's written on paper doesn't mean it encompasses the whole sort of exactly. spectrum of possibilities for what could go wrong. Because uh, even though you had that agreement for all, you know, a, a judge could say like, well, that's actually anti-competitive and right. No, you can't do that. But they were both on the same page and agreed to it. So, who knows right it's not like so clear cut so anyway um so what michael huang was doing was uh buying those works for the juiced up collector allegedly um <laughs> wait what's allegedly <laughs> that he's juiced up <laughs> i don't know for a fact. i mean no one excuse me no one naturally has that body okay <laughs> Uh, I mean, I I try my hardest at the Krusty Crunch on 83rd Street on the Upper West Side. No one's body looks like that naturally. Well, maybe when you get your Equinox passport. um, Oh, yeah, that's true. Soon. (laughs) I kind of want to get the one at Hudson Yards. It's a whole separate Equinox. It's like a $500 a month membership. It looks like Um, Escort Central. It looks so good. <laughs> it basically, yeah, because you know, for an escort, I guess it would make sense to shell out five hundred dollars a month if you could get those like ten k clients totally. for an hour. I wonder and if uh, I wonder if Equinox Hudson Yards does the same vetting as Paula Cooper does for 
selling works of Cecil Brown. Are you because on basically Redmond? Yeah, because basically it's the same constituency, like teeming with vultures. You have to weed out. Yeah, but just go to Instagram and look up the equinox at hudson yards and you'll see the outdoor pool it looks so nice way nicer than so house oh that's where all the fags have been posting yes. those uh, vessel from the water shots yes it looks amazing <clears throat> and uh as one of my basic bitches on youtube uh shelby church showed me um because of covid one of the restaurants or whatever uh, or juice bars in the equinox is closed so now there's like a co-working area so like it's where your one stop shop pretend, where people can pretend to co-work <laughs> exactly uh she work um so anyway so what was happening was he was buying the paintings adding 10 percent charge and five thousand dollar travel costs on some of the works <laughs> which is would you so say petty. that's um, I just wonder if that's the price of a business ticket, a business uh, business class ticket, or like just the the whole accoutrements of the travels. Maybe for like a business class ticket and a few days in a hotel, like a nice hotel is like five grand. That would make sense. I mean, I I would think to fly from Switzerland to Miami would cost you more than five grand for a business class ticket. Oh. Uh... Usually it's like four times the price of a coach ticket. Uh-huh. So maybe it's like okay. 2500 or 3000 It is a little petty, which is funny because he's so he's so gullible on the one hand and so not good with money, uh, so it seems. But then on the other hand, he like knows how to like charge for those small expenses. Maybe his dad sort of kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, embedded that knowledge into him. Um. So, okay, so the Cecily Brown painting, for example, was $700,000. He tacked on 10%, which was $70,000, plus the 5000 travel costs. He wrote an invoice, sent it to uh, De Bernardi. And he wrote the, an invoice with, with those legal stipulations yes. printed out on it, which I don't know, again, if they hold any water. but Like, whatever. you can't show this to anyone, and it has to be sold through me. And yeah, I wonder who snapped a uh, picture of the agreement. <laughs> um, Wait, and can you look at the metadata meta, meta of that picture? Probably not because it's gone through so many kind of uploads of... I see. Going on the web and, you know, I think maybe it came from court documents. Right. Um, but then uh, uh, De Bernardi allegedly tried to or did resell the painting it went through many sales and then Levy Gorby Gallery <laughs> sold it and Paula Cooper Gallery caught wind of it. And so then they uh, confronted Huang I, about it. And you <laughs> know, one thing that's not one thing that's not mentioned is how much it was resold for. Yeah, I want to I want a timeline of like all the <laughs> It would just shed some light on why the Bernardi did it in the first place? Because if the if the markup on the resale was worth it to that extent, I would be a little more understanding uh, towards yeah. the Bernardi. But like if he had re, if he'd sold it to Levy Gorvey for like uh, eight hundred thousand, then like were those like thirty k really worth it? Well, apparently there were other sales along the way. It wasn't even him selling to Levy Gorvey. 
Oh, I see. It was like there were, it had already traded hands multiple times and then finally got there, which is insane. Uh, So then Paula Cooper (laughs) Gallery threatened to sue Huang for $500,000 to $1 million and said that media attention can be expected uh, and your actions and various statements you have made to us will become widely known. (laughs) I mean, if I was Paula Cooper or the gallery, I would be wiser and just be like, okay, sorry, you're banned. You're on our blacklist now instead of threatening to sue him. Yeah. And we've sent the Art Basel uh, mailing list. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Media attention can be expected. What could that look like? I wonder. Media attention can be expected as a threat. Yeah. Well, it happened. (laughs) No, but like, what, what do they, what do they, what weapons do they have in their arsenal to carry out that threat in a meaningful way? What would that be? Uh, I guess just, you know, they obviously do have connections to like the art media, which it's industry press. So not that like it's going to be in the New York times or something, but I mean, the story has made it to industry press and everyone now in the art world knows. So basically mm-hmm. the two of them are burnt like toast, um, as one dealer said in the story. I mean, it takes two to tango. There's a saying in Hebrew, which, sorry for the... Uh, L- <laughs> sorry for the profanity, Hebrew <laughs> speakers, but it translates to, you don't threaten a prostitute with a dick. Oh my God. And so what, uh, my point is, like, what kind of threat is that? I mean, are they going to tarnish his reputation? That's coming from, like, I mean, Paula Cooper is fine. It's not the dirtiest player in this business. But, like, this business is dirty to begin with. So, like, what what are you going to do further? Like, sling mud at at someone? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um. So then Huang ended up um, settling uh, with Paula Cooper Gallery. <laughs> Uh, paying more than he made in that 70,000 plus 5k in travel expenses. Learned a lesson, hopefully. <laughs> and that's in return for like him retaining his reputation or whatever. No, I think he's probably just totally burnt. Um, but then the best part is that uh, Deborah Nardi's lawyer, Luke Nikos, claims that he transferred the work at the outset of the worldwide COVID-19 crisis. It wasn't a mm-hmm. sale. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Show us the receipts, uh, because mm-hmm. this story has literal receipts, <laughs> right? Um, such as the wish list of artworks that, uh, Federico Castro de Bernardi emailed to Michael Huang in February, 2019. Which truly exposes him as a person of no taste, intellectual laziness, and <laughs> I mean, I should be the lawyer on that a uh, on that case because I could be some real like character witness totally. and give some testimonies. They're they're truly they're nitpicking too much at the details of this. This just needs to be like deconstructed on a on a character level. Yeah, like why did you want a Jonas Wood interior painting? Better, but works on paper look good from Gagosian April New York show so bad. And that ugly ass <laughs> Nicholas Party painting Two Faces, which you can see the apparently there's several works of his that are named Two Faces. Oh my god. But that particular one that he uh um that he was after was what what was it even? Is it a work it was of atrocious. paper? Like, it's like a f- 
say what you will about Nicholas Party. I'm not a fan, but at least the other ones are pretty. And this one's just ugly. This is just so uh so embarrassing for everybody involved because like if if you get caught for something, at least get caught for like you know, yeah, a master painter's masterpiece or something bad, yeah. something like that. But like over Nicholas Party's two faces that you shelled out sixty thousand euro for plus sixty six hundred in commission for Huang. I know. Uh the Harold Ankar too, I was like, I mean it's massive, but whatever. I mean I love Harold Ankart's work. Uh and it truly has to be seen in person up close to be appreciated for its texture. Yeah. Is the work overpriced? Absolutely. Yeah. Um are the press releases dumb? Absolutely. That whole body of work on uh those outdoor pools he made because he was working in his studio in New York one summer and it was hot. And he wanted to jump into a pool, so he started making small models of swimming pools. <laughs> um, um, uh, and I'm sorry, the Dana Schutz. So CFA, Contemporary Fine Arts, Berlin, Hong Kong Fair. Work is too harsh lately, but let's see what they offer. Oh you mean that body in a <laughs> casket? Jesus. <laughs> Oh, my God. So what do you think? Did he found the museum in Beijing as a operation to launder anything under the sun? Or was that a a more uh, earnest attempt to uh, sort of expand his interest in art? And mm, I think it might be like a side opportunity that presented itself. Yeah. In my opinion. Uh, because the museum, I didn't know much about it, but as I was doing more reading, he co-founded the museum with a billionaire heiress. Mm -hmm. So it's probably her money. He just seems like he's from like a well-off family, but not, um, you know, billionaire heir money. Like there's a difference between his mother working in pharmaceuticals and his dad being a financial lawyer, which obviously you're very well off if you're in those fields. But yeah, it doesn't really allow for this lifestyle. Whereas mm-hmm. his billionaire I'm also looking, colleague, uh, looking at their past. Right. Um, but then when you I'm, know, I'm... when these situations present themselves, like uh, a thought throwing themselves at you, <laughs> right? For yeah, access. I wonder what the na- what the nature of their friendship was like. Yeah, was it more than friends? <laughs> If only we could have Tiff Zab on the uh, on the pod. <laughs> Did anyone put out? Uh, he does seem to have curated a few shows at the museum. Shufu, that is. Um, but also, it's like um, it also speaks to, I think, the way people in the art world, um, I think, look at Chinese collectors. Where if he was from any other country and it's like, I have a museum, they'd be like, whatever, never heard of it. You right. know, but it's like, ah, you're from China. Obviously you must be a trillionaire. <laughs> like, right. I mean, listen, on its face, this, this does not look very, this doesn't bode well for him because it reads as, okay, this young heir opened a museum so he could 
uh, leverage that to get high, um, um, sort of high shelf, like uh, top shelf artworks to go through the sort of the laundry operation scheme of the museum so you could eventually at the tail end of that at the other end of that flip them for profit like this just doesn't look very kosher yeah yeah this is the one time where i don't feel like the museum is a tax shelter i feel like it's uh more about access right uh well i guess the bernardi's blacklisted now i'm assuming yeah well, maybe maybe any insiders from the industry could uh, tell us if that is in fact the case. Yeah, if you uh, work at a major gallery and he's blacklisted, let us know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Call the tip line. I mean, my takeaway is that Michael Shufu is just really bad with money. Yeah. Um, for letting this happen to him a second time in a row, he does seem, just purely judging by the reporting, he does seem to have like enough of a guilty conscience to want to uh, undo the harm and sort of want to do the right thing by the galleries. And yeah, it's just funny that the artists are not even mentioned here. (laughs) I find it's just so absurd that this like not even best painting of Cecily Brown has like exchanged so many hands in this like disgusting tale of greed. It's true. Yeah, and it just really proves how it just becomes a financial instrument. and It is. I mean, there's at no point is anyone speaking of true love of art. And even if they do, it's not for the works that they were trying to, uh, trying to buy and resell, i.e. the Nicholas Party painting and some other lesser works. I mean, maybe not the Harold Uncarts one, but like, I mean, this is... They're, they're obsessed and invested in the lifestyle. This is not about the love of art. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, I think anytime someone is thirsty and desperate over a work, uh, you should be skeptical of that yeah. person. And I mean, <laughs> listen, from my very sort of low rung stature in the socioeconomic world, I I understand the sentiment because I've been coveting those Jean Prouvé chairs <laughs> for a few weeks now. From and I was, Popeye's. From Popeye's, which I visited one time next door to my house in Gowanus. Which took you a long time, I have to say. (laughs) It did take me a long time, yeah. Uh, And, I mean, I don't have to tell you that I cannot afford original Jean Prouvé dining chairs. So I was able to find replicas, but thanks to uh, Joe Biden and the supply chain issues, (laughs) um, the ones I was able to find for cheap while using some credit card points... (laughs) Uh, I will only be getting sometime next month, hopefully. Oh my god! Um, and so, but point being, like, I also understand, like, when I, you know, get invested in something and I fall into a rabbit hole of trying to like uh, acquire it, it could get dark. Yeah. And so I understand what it's like. Um, so yeah, but uh, my takeaway is uh, team no one. Oh, this is such a team no one. But if uh, on a sexual level, um, Team Federico. <laughs> yeah, you think? I mean, <laughs> he's like he's like on a pure sort of external appreciation. I don't think there's 
much to be admired in either under the clothes or inside the heart or the brain or under the rug um yeah. oh my god <laughs> or in the closet <laughs> um <sighs> and let, let, we should just be clear about it there's nothing wrong about being gay yeah, like we're, we're gay we're, <laughs> if we're gay we're not we're not advocates of outing anyone yeah if anyone you're just tuning everyone, in we're gay yeah we're gay we're not for outing anyone you should take your sweet time it is a mystery to me while some people in those industries that are uh you know prominently very progressive still you know fear coming out of the closet I don't understand how there's obstacles to coming out of the closet in progressive circles, but um, that's just, I guess, it is what it is. Um, yeah, maybe it's the steroids who <laughs> that have shriveled the instruments and the desire. To act Not that out. there's anything wrong with that. No, I mean, <laughs> my father was gay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I just watched that episode last week. <laughs> it's so good. Yes. Um, speaking of which, that marble rye I got at Davidovich the other day. Oh, Oy Davidovich. <laughs> what a beautiful bread. <laughs> and that schmear I had this morning with the white fish on the marble bread, on the marble rye. Are you. <laughs> Are you doing Dasha Jew voice now? Oh. (laughs) No, sorry. I'm just, it's an impression of some of my students. Oh my God. Do do they have Ryder Rep's voice sounding like a octogenarian man from the Lower East Side? I'm, uh, I signed an NDA, so. Okay. No, they're, they're incredible little angels. I just love this new job. It's just I'm an so amazing happy place for to you. work in. Yeah, thank you so much. It's so refreshing to be feel appreciated. <laughs> I believe the children are future. <laughs> That's you, Amir. It is me. I mean, look, now you have two uh, two close people in your life that are educators. True. Um, both you and brother of the pod, Bart. Mm-hmm. You guys get summers off. We get summers off. I get fridays early off and they hand out challah bread shalom in the home shalom in the home i mean how amazing is that sort of affirmative action totally getting off earlier on friday because of the shabbat just imagine the speakers you'll be able to get in class one day um oh totally i mean like my Bialik, would you come speak to our class (laughs) Is Madeleine Albright Jewish or is she just wearing a wig for no reason? Uh, she discovered she was Jewish later in life. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Uh, she looks very Jewish. Oh, totally. I mean, she, and looks, also, yeah. she looks like George Soros. <laughs> she does, yeah. It's, you know, I'm sure they're all cousins in the same shtetl <laughs> before the Kozaks came and whiplash them. them out of the <laughs> put them on the boat with a uh five oh god 
It's a true American tale. <laughs> uh, no, you know what? I'm surprised that there's... I cannot even think of a single student with a uh, those classic tight curls. <laughs> the Chelsea Clinton. <laughs> no, no, even tighter. Like uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, even even tighter curls. Like the kangaroo spray gel? Yes. The like Aussie yes. natural spray gel tight curl. Yeah. And the other thing, because we have to wear mask, masks all the time, like I'm deprived of those like, you know, shampoo smells that oh, God, you know, teenagers know. wear that are just so typical. And like badge group. Bad body products. Like they, the girls love yeah. like Calgon body spray and like Victoria's Secret things. Yeah. That's man, I really hate this pandemic because it really deprives kids of that <laughs> aspect of the sensory. It's true. Uh, it's it's so important because I have so many memories from my childhood from like specific scents, odors, smells. Totally. Like when I was in, in junior high, it was all about like Tommy and Tommy Girl. Oh and yeah, like, for sure. And Calvin Klein. Like I wonder what the kids are into now. So um I mean I just still have that distinct sort of smell of pantene. <laughs> Totally. That the girls would use or like the head and shoulders first gen. Oh, I love smell. the panting smell though. Yeah, same. Um <sighs> Oh man, I really wish this will be over soon. Okay. Um Okay, do we wanna add anything to that uh, uh that nothing burger of those two fags? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh case adjourned next (laughs) (laughs) okay well i uh put together a few hot topic items for us to chew on um let's see some more team no one items (laughs) okay um okay let's start with a uh, light item among Gagosian's gallery's numerous strengths self-mythologizing and personal branding are way up there now there's a new generation of ambitious young art lovers ready to climb the ranks, and among them is none other than Beckett. Is that how you pronounce her name? <laughs> Beckett Allen, B E C H E T. Bechtel test. Yeah, basically, <laughs> or the German pronunciation Beckett. Beckett Allen, the 25-year-old adopted daughter of disgraced filmmaker Woody Allen and Suni Previn. Do you agree with the premise that he's disgraced? <laughs> That's the only thing I was trying to get at with mentioning this little uh, topic. Well, I did love him in Manhattan Murder Mystery. <laughs> what a great movie. It is great. I'm so glad I finally watched it. Um, I'm just looking at Beckett. <laughs> Wait, so is does he have lazy sperm? What's the deal? Mm, what makes you say, say that? No, wait, did he father any children with um, that messy mother? No, I don't think so. I don't think so, actually. Because all the kids I, were adopted. Yeah, oh, and no, I they, mean, claimed, like, they claimed Ronan Farrow was her, his ugh, kid on, with dude. her, right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Old, blonde, blue eyes. <laughs> Little Frank Sinatra. Yeah. I mean, if only she stopped for one week uh, making posts uh, on Instagram of her and Frank Sinatra together from back in the day, maybe I would stop uh, 
thinking that Rona Fair is their shared son. If uh, if only she stopped Googling Mia Farrow's racialized child. <laughs> no, she literally Googled Mia Farrow's black daughter and screen grabbed it with the search term and posted it to Twitter. <laughs> oh, my God. And, you know, not- notoriously so when Ronan was, I guess, five or seven, she put him through uh, like... I don't know what that surgery is called when they make you taller. <laughs> like the K-pop star surgery where they like break your legs for a year. <laughs> yes, yes. She did that to Ronan Farrow, who, by the way, that was not that was not the name he was given at birth because she famously changes her children's <laughs> names, both adopted and biological ones, when they, you know, hit five or six or whatever. So... All of our kids, or most of them, had different names when they were babies than the names they have now. Oof. So, um, good for you, Gagosian. <laughs> I, it's just interesting to me because I assumed that those blue chip galleries usually bring in like art dealers who are like, I just are more connected to like old money or like established money. What are, what is her like level of connections? I know. Oh my God. I just Googled of... her. Beckett Allen, client liaison Gagosian on LinkedIn. I'm going to add her. <laughs> I wonder if she's one of these annoying LinkedIn user that's, uh, that's always just posting like, um, you know, kind of like, uh, what do you call that content? You know, that like annoying raw, raw slideshow stuff, but on LinkedIn. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Well, she seems cute. She's got like Sofia Coppola kind of a yeah, look to her. Well, she went to Bard. That says it all. Good for her. Um, and I mean, I the only thing, the only thing disgraceful about him is the quality of his movies after the year two thousand one. Yeah, but uh, don't quote me on that. Um, okay, let's see. She worked at Le Atelier Courbet uh, for three months in 2017. Mm-hmm. Helped in the store selling high-end home decor. Used artistic ability to design exhibits, showcasing pieces. Answered the phone and ran errands and managed the store website. Ooh, she's a CSS queen. <laughs> Just like <Sorry>. you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Work that CMS. Um, summer costume intern, intern in the women's fashion department at Ralph Lauren, costume PA, and then now uh, client liaison since August 2021. Interesting. I like didn't even realize Woody Allen was such a collector, or you know, has access to people who are at that level into the art that Gagosian sells. Um. Alrighty. Okay. Shall we move on? Yes. Next. Uh, Next. We really did a Michael Kors sort of (laughs) intro or segue between those uh, topics. Okay. Um, In other news, emerging African artists have amassed nearly $65 million at auction since 2019. Some of them don't even have galleries yet. Um, Auction sales of work by ultra-contemporary African artists have increased 433 434 percent over the past two years to almost 40 million 40 million 
what is wrong with my brain? To almost 40 million in 2021 from 7.5 million in 2019, according to the Artnet price database. Several factors drove this explosion. Um, good on them, Simkowitz says. When reached <laughs> of course by he's phone in the Tuesday. story. Yeah. When reached by phone Thursday, I'm happy. It's thrilling. As for his involvement with various bubbles, the dealer said, um, I am not at the center of every emerging art market bubble. I am just early in getting involved with some of the best artists working on the planet Earth. Okay, bitch. Sounds colonial. Um. Well, he is. Um, it runs in his uh, South African blood. Okay. Los Angeles dealer Bennett Roberts says that not a week goes by without someone trying to get him interested in a new figurative African artist. He estimates that there are around 20 to 50 whose work is actively traded on the market today. Alluding to the rampant speculation for emerging African artists, Marion Boski said the gallery is working to create a quote-unquote safe environment for them. We are thinking about what's in the interest of the artists short-term and long-term. We won't buy everything from the show and flip it. Even before the show's opening on Thursday, works by almost all artists have sold, Boski said, with prices topping out at $30,000, uh, $30, while the dealer said her invoices of terms that seek to limit the resale of the work. The r real test comes in selecting in the right buyer. The right um, buyer. Yeah, exactly. And also, it's, just, it's interesting the way they phrase it here, because here it says that uh, the the invoices have terms that seek to limit the resale of the work. Yeah. So it's not it's not sort of set in legal stone. Um, What do you make of it? Uh, definitely seems Predator like a bubble. Predatory, yay or nay? Predatory. Um, I mean, of course, there should be more equity in the art world in terms of representation, and that includes regional representation. Uh, but something growing 434% over two years sounds yeah. chaotic and about to explode. I mean, right. pop. Um, I th also think it's suspicious that it's like only figurative work like right i mean the article goes on to say that many collectors who enter the art market during lockdown are drawn to figuration a style employed by a number of young african painters what does that even mean yeah like there's obviously artists in africa making non-figurative work it's just not a market trend right and that so... kind of leads yeah what were you gonna say no no go ahead so that leads me to the other hot topic, uh, also from Artnet News, uh, a buyer's guide to the breakout stars of the new museum triennial, who they are and where to find them. I mean, unrelated, but just to maybe segue into another sort of interesting way to operate within this business. Uh, Khalil Robert Irving, born 1992, gallery affiliation none. Um, what to know? Irving is best known for his densely abstract sculptural assemblages. On view at the new museum are 10 ceramic clustered forms resembling the detritus of everyday life. Most wanted. There is a keen demand for Irving's large-scale prints. One was recently acquired by the Whitney Museum and sculptural objects similar to those uh, on view at the new museum. With my practice, things are constantly in flux, so there is a good audience and collector interest in everything I make, Irving says. Uh, price point, 15K to 115K. Oh, my God. No gallery representation. Up next for him, 
Irving has a, completed a New York Museum hat trick with work currently on view at the Whitney Museum's Making Knowing's sorry Making Knowing Craft in Art, a solo presentation project Khalil Robert Irving at the Museum of Modern Art, and of course the New Museum Triennial. Um, this is like uh, uh, my head is spinning. Who's like pricing at one hundred fifty thousand? Born in 1992, no gallery affiliation, solo show at MoMA, uh, work currently on view at the Whitney, work selling between 15K to 115K. Like, good for him, but also, like, what is going on there? Yeah. Also recently included in Antoine Sargent's Social Works 2 exhibition at Gagosian. Of course, like... Of course, they have to highlight the... (laughs) Antoine Sargent. I think Artnet News or yeah, all of these like press uh, media outlets have to like they're obliged to mention Antoine Sargent's name maybe once or twice a day in any given context. context. And the outfit being worn. Yeah. Um, Derek Blasberg's. I just wonder who manages his best interests. I mean, I am totally pleading a. Uh, lack of knowledge on this i don't know if this gallery affiliation status is a uh an indication to who's running the business there for him but it just sounds so like i wonder if it was the so, work at gagosian and they're like we're pricing at one hundred fifty thousand because we're gagosian because yeah, that but who does it does who not does make his bidding for who who does the bidding for him i mean if you have no gallery affiliation and you're showing in museums like who like you really need so much yeah. savvy that's outside the scope of what we artists are capable of. He's probably working with like there's galleries or private dealers selling things, but he's just not like officially represented by anyone at this point. He's probably just waiting around for kind of what the best offer is. Right. And I guess I, sh- I shouldn't even think he's a young artist because 1992, I mean, that's not even that young. It's at least seven years younger than us. And we're elder yeah, but, millennials. Yeah, I mean we're we're approaching forty. <sighs> well, at least you're married. I've been perpetually single with no I mean, prospects. Had, <laughs> excuse me, you've had su- you've had you have such a rich life. Thanks. I mean, you've lived like the equivalence of like three or four lives. It's like the Madonna song. Nobody knows me. Oh, true. Except that everybody knows her. <laughs> Oh my god! Did did you look up his work? Yeah, the ceramics are nice. They're cute. Yeah, um, I uh, not really into the prints, but I like the ceramics. I'm just not a big fan of detritus in any form. Yeah, like, like I I've seen like I've seen one too many like Rauschenbergs yeah. incorporating detritus. That whole era, I think. Like, I think also just as like a storytelling device, it's like there is no story. You know, it's like. It's like, this is my life in the city. And it's like, yeah, I mean, everyone has garbage (laughs) blowing around. I honestly can't tell if I'm just jaded by intellectual laziness or if there's truly, we truly live in a moment where like everything that could have been done has been done. Yeah. Because all these forms of expression and like mediums and stuff like that, it seems like such a novelty for the young artists who have discovered it and to think they have reinvented the wheel. But like, we've seen all those things in so many iterations and like, 
it really rides on the fact that people have short term memories yeah. as art history wise um i mean good for him i mean whatever generates wealth kudos to you but with um, the ceramics like um that's why i like gloopy <laughs> goopy you know kind of just like the 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 spirit of the material coming through right ceramics i'm not a fan of like mimicking things with ceramics oh right yeah it feels like a gimmick or you know there are a few artists that like recreate packaging of you know commercial products Mm -hmm. at a larger scale made of ceramic and it's like who cares like again gimmick right i mean i love seth bogart's work who's shown with david and uh um god why am I blanking on the LA dealer? Oh, God. oh the I'm books. So I like those. Yeah, the books, but he also makes other like like other items yeah. that he keeps No, but those buys. are cute. But you know where it's like a giant like who's that artist where it's like a giant jug and it's like a hot sauce bottle and you're like Right. Like blowing up the scale doesn't make it interesting. Right. I guess I'm just bored with art at this point. I've maybe I've just seen too much art where the only experience I yearn for in terms of dialogue with art is an intimate experience of a dialogue. And oftentimes or mostly I find it in abstract work, I guess, because it just doesn't it's not immediately evident to me what I'm supposed to sort of transact in that moment. Um yeah. I saw this essay someone posted on Twitter about um, the gimmicks of gay figuration. <laughs> um, what did it say? It addressed, uh, what's that, Kyle? Terman? <sighs> no, the one the one that makes those uh, reliefs that are painted. Oh, Kyle Vu yeah. Dunn? So that was like part of the essay, but then there were some other things addressed. I just skimmed it. I think we should read that for the next episode. <laughs> Where was it? On some Canadian journal or arts something. I don't know. I'll find it and I'll send it to you. Okay, but I'm interested in I'm just like that. gimmick averse. That's my thing. I mean it's impossible like it's impossible to escape it because in all of our works there's there is an element of, of gimmick. I wouldn't even call it a gimmick. It's our signature or our sort of anchor point in what differentiates our practice, I guess from any other forms of expression so there's there's always a gimmick i mean uh, i don't know i'm looking at your beautiful work in my home right now i'm like no gimmicks detected yeah i mean it's just uh it's a gimmick you have to kind of kind of sort of dig your way deeper into the meaning to uh the gimmick would be if like every one of them had like a usb port and i had to like plug a usb speaker in oh that is such a good idea (laughs) and then there's like music coming out of it (laughs) no if anything i should team up with some iranian hackers to get people to plug in their usb keys (laughs) infect you with the viruses that's actually genius you know my students were their minds were blown when i told them the story about the uh (laughs) iranian hackers who planted usb keys in that bodega across the street from the un building oh my god it was so ingenious because they had figured okay somebody at some point will like 
at the drop of a hat or really urgently would need a USB key. And so they would just run across yeah. the street to the bodega and would get them. And the second they plugged them into their like high security <laughs> clearance computers, they were immediately infected with some like Shaw malware. Way to go, morons. <laughs> yes. Um, Couldn't go to Staples. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, oh, well. What is some? I guess that covered all the hot topics I had listed for us. Oh, I just wanted to make a make a mentioning that I really like the new uh, wet paint by Annie Armstrong because there's some. She documents uh, openings and like after parties and stuff like that. It's pretty nice to get to see all the people who contracted Omicron <laughs> sooner or later this past week. Okay, I'll have to read that. I haven't read the other, the OG wet paint in a while because he's in LA oh. now. Spilling oh, yeah. the tea. <laughs> Is it still called wet paint on Vanity Fair? No, it's called something else. I guess, I guess the uh, Artnet owns the name wet paint. Which, by the right. way, I'm still waiting for my fucking wet paint hat. <sighs> that's uh, that's rude. Yeah, uh, yeah. I haven't read uh, Nate Freeman in Vanity Fair in a while. I guess that move was good for him, but not so good for the rest of us because I never read Vanity Fair. Yeah, not even for the Leibowitz. Uh, not Leibowitz. What's her name? The photographer, <laughs> Annie Leibowitz. <laughs> Annie. Yeah, I was thinking of Fran for some reason. All these Jews. Uh. Speaking of speaking of other people Jews. in the arts who are really are really terrible with money <laughs> wait who's terrible with money shufo oh sorry it'll be revealed it'll be like um he's actually a shanghai jew uh i would not be surprised there are jews everywhere i mean thanks to the fucking inquisition we're everywhere Okay. True. I mean, Sorry. they they kicked us out of Spain, same as happened to me for uh, at Azara. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And what do you know? I find myself uh, in the gracious hospitality of uh, the Ottoman Empire's uh, <laughs> the <know>. Ottoman Empire. <laughs> The thought of an empire. That's a that's the name of today's episode. Thank you for coming up with it. Okay, writing it down right now. Yeah, you know what I'm not looking for is uh, too as much as I love the whole Adam Neumann story. Oh, and I was following it pretty tightly with a podcast that came out in the aftermath of the whole collapse. The fucking biopic featuring Jared Leto and Anne oh, Hathaway. God. Could you have cast those two more terribly and inappropriately? I mean, Anne Hathaway at least has that Rebecca Neumann energy. <laughs> yes, but Anne Hathaway does not look Jewish at all. And I don't know. Uh, Andy uh, Rebe- Sachs was like, could have no, been I mean, gone com- either way. <laughs> no, no Jap has a mouth that big. Uh, she. I don't know. Like Rebecca Neumann just looks like she has a very specific look and Anne Hathaway is not that look. Doesn't even yeah. come close to it. I just can't wait for the the era we get into where someone like Anne Hathaway gets fully canceled for playing a Jew. <laughs> yeah. 
And also, like, they named you Anne Hathaway, the wife of Shakespeare. That is, I'm sorry, that is in and of itself, like, a canceling factor to play any Jew in anything. Um, unless you play Shylock as a redeeming. Also, Jared Leto is so annoying. Also, Jared Leto is, like, 20 years older than Adam Norman. Yeah, and also what Jared Leto is, like, what... How tall is he? I'm sorry. I'm really annoyed by Jared Leto. I saw him on the street once with 30 Seconds to Mars. They were being photographed on the Bowery. They smell okay, like fish. He's 5'11". He what? Even with... I, yes. And they all lie on Google. And so he is there's not no my way height. He's, <laughs> no, he's not 5'11". Um, and even with eyebrows, Jared Leto always looks like his eyebrows are shaved. God. Like completely shaved off. And Adam Adam Neumann is like what six four, and like he has the the birthing hips and everything. It's just totally miscast. <laughs> yeah, that movie's gonna be annoying. It's they're so desperate to make these movies, I guess, because they buy rights to things, and there's probably some time, yeah, like yeah. stipulation on it because right. they just come out too early. Like I think they're making. Oh, they are making. I saw the preview. I think for Uber. There's oh, like an really? Uber uh, an Uber biopic. About Travis Kalanick. It's like, who God. asked for this? There's such an embarrassment of riches at this point in time where there's just so much to watch and most of it is just so irrelevant and insignificant. Yeah. Uh, Adam Norman is 6'5". What? And also he has that like very, that signature hairline. Are they going to like <laughs> give that to Jared Leto? Because otherwise I don't want to watch that. And I also don't want to, like listen to jared leto try to like fake an israeli accent oh my god i know that's just gonna be terrible most importantly who is going to play elizabeth holmes in the biopic? <laughs> oh my god who would play her yeah who would be a good elizabeth holmes who has potential thyroid disease and could play her <laughs> maybe uh chelsea clinton could take a master class in acting <laughs> And jump in the water for us. <laughs> oh my god! Um, um, oh my god. I did watch Steve Jobs though a few weeks ago. Have you seen it? The one with Ashton Kutcher? No, the or one with, with Michael uh, Fassbender. Oh, I I really don't like Michael Fassbender. I think he's so hot. I've never actually watched him in anything. Um, I saw him in Prometheus. That's a good movie. He was great um, in Steve Jobs. Right, he's handsome. I just. I just don't know that I care too much, like enough. Yeah, about Steve Jobs the person. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it it was one of these movies where it just kind of focused on kind of four key periods, so it just hopped between the four in order. Yeah. So it didn't really develop enough, and it, you know, a big plot point was this strained relationship he had with his daughter, whose paternity he denied for a while. Um, I just I find it uninteresting. Just give yeah. me a call when there's a Steve Wozniak biopic. Well, he, that I'll so watch. he was in the movie, and he was who plays him? Uh, Seth Rogen. <laughs> really? Yes. I feel like someone from the cast of The Sopranos would be would make a a good Steve Wozniak. And he was like, uh, like uh, Steve, uh, you really need to you really need to commend the Apple II team. Like at the Macintosh product launch, and he wouldn't. I kind of resent the fact that Seth Rogen has become the like place, just the filler for any 
Zaftish like person. Sh- <laughs> yeah, basically post-shtetl zaft. Um, and then Kate Winslet plays this um, Polish bitch. <laughs> Which one? Uh, her name's Joanna Hoffman. No, she was like his right-hand woman. Ariana Huffington. <laughs> <laughs> and so Kate Winslet was great on it. Um, I mean, she's great. Yeah, she was really good. So if you're bored, I recommend watching on Netflix. Yeah. Because most of their watch... content sucks. <laughs> yeah. It really does suck. Yeah. It's like that It's like that meme uh, comparing Hinge to uh, Netflix, all the bad choices, options. Yeah. And the price just keeps going up. It's $16.49 for the standard resolution subscription in Canada now. Of Hinge? Uh, Sorry, of uh, Netflix. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we watched Don't Look Up last night, and it was whatever. I mean, much like with Avocado, I think I've hit my limit on Meryl Streep like five, six years ago. I just cannot take any more Meryl Streep in my life. No, my cutoff was Devil's Prada, and then I just did not pay attention after. Sorry. Uh, I think I, I, I like the one where she played uh, Margaret Th- Thatcher. Thatcher. That, that was a good... Th- <laughs> Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good movie. But she's just like... She's such a, such an annoying thespian. Like, everything's so overacted. I know. Well, yeah. my last question before we sign off is, Amir... Yeah. Have you ever felt drunk drinking the prop water? <laughs> the what? <laughs> Did you not see the video I sent? No, what video? It's this LA Times like actors on actors panel or something and it's Jennifer Hudson, uh Kirsten Dunst, someone else, uh god, the lesbian from Twilight. And anyway, and Gaga's being so extra, and she's just like... Oh, yes, 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 yes. Does anyone else feel drunk drinking the prop water? And everyone's just making my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Gaga. Bless her. Bless her heart. Um, Yes. Well, on that note, what are you... uh, Are you doing anything fun this weekend? Mm, Just going to be a poor baby in bed. Oh, yes. I hope it's not Omicron. Thanks. Hope it's not the next variant. Yes. The Zeta Jones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm going to go to the studio now and do some work. Well, paint like your life depends on it. I will. I plan on expanding always and always, as Ryan Serhan says. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week, Amir. Choose. Yes. Choose.